Amen. Thank you, Adam, for filling in for Danny. Y'all give him a hand again. It's been awesome. Getting to hang with him this morning um, has been a lot of fun. But for those of you that don't know me, uh, for those of you that are new, for those of you that have heard of Bart, um, I'm not him. Uh, Bart did not uh, gain 35, 40 pounds, grow a head of hair, and gain more facial hair in a week. Um, But no, my name is Jamie uh, Pippin, and I'm the new student pastor here. Uh, This is my third Sunday. Um, And so Randy had said, hey, I need you to preach. This is kind of a trial run. If your sermon's good, we'll keep you. If not, you're gone. So, um, you know, just tell Randy that, man, it's... We're thankful that Jamie Grace's stage instead of you, uh, and, and he'll, he'd appreciate that. But no, we, I'm excited to be here. Um, my wife, I don't know where she is right there. Uh, she is here this weekend. She has been, currently been staying back in Houston, um, where we have moved from, um, with our son River, who is two, who is in the, the children's area over there. And so just for some of you who have asked us how the sale of our house is going, how that whole process um, it's not fun. I hate selling a house, um, but thankfully uh, we do have a contract on our house. Our house closes on uh, Lord willing, July the 11th. I know some of you have been praying with us through this journey. So just to kind of give y'all an update um, to just fill y'all in where we are at. So Lord willing, come July the 11th, uh, we will have a place here. I've been staying with a buddy of mine in Grapevine, who I know from a previous church, and then the McKays are graciously letting us crash at their place this weekend, so we don't have to drive back and forth to Grapevine with a two-year-old. And so that is a little bit about me. For those of you that are new, um, I'm new as well, so we can get to know people together. Um, And so we are excited to be here to be serving alongside of this wonderful staff that is already in place here, uh, led by Bart and Randy. Um, we're just excited to really see where the Lord um, leads us um, in these few in these next years um, while we're here loving and ministering to these students and their parents. And so um, today is Father's Day, um, and so I have not necessarily got a sermon geared directly for men. Um, because let's be real, we live in America today and, and some homes, the men aren't there. Um, and so, um, but this sermon is for men. It's directed to men, but also to women, um, to teenagers, to everyone. We're gonna take a journey. I've entitled this message as you can see on the screen. It's just called The Grind. Um, we're talking about what does it mean to persevere in a tough world. Um, and the thing that I want us to look at this morning is this big idea. I tell the students all the time um, when I preach on Wednesday nights is, is if I could preach a sermon in a sentence, I, I tell them what it is up front. So if they, don't, if they tune me out 10 minutes in, at least they got something to go home with. So for you adults that decide to tune me out uh, 10 minutes in, here we go. Right here is the big idea this morning that I want us to understand is this, is that if we keep our focus on Jesus and his purposes, we can be content in all circumstances. That that's just the main idea that I want us to walk away from, uh, that with this, uh, walk away from this message this morning. Um, and so, I mean, this isn't a parenting message. Those are great. Um, I can speak to parenting at least two years worth. Uh, some of you have a lot more years than I have. Um, and we will be the ones coming to you, all right? And so y'all can be ready for that. But I want us just to take a journey this morning. 
for, uh, for, uh, for the next few moments, a journey that, that really explores what it means to truly find contentment. But not only just to find contentment, but to find contentment in Christ and Christ alone. And what does that look like for us? But I want to start off that journey by asking you a question. I mean, that question is this, is if, have you ever, think to yourself, been in a circumstance or situation and thought these things? Why? Why am I in this situation? Why me? Why, why, why now? Maybe, maybe men, since it is Father's Day, maybe you thought this. How in the world will I walk my family through this situation? How in the world will I, will I navigate us through this? God, why us? Why now? Why me? Have you ever truly thought what it means to really be content in Christ? In Christ only? And that's what I want us to answer uh, this morning. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bible, you can go and open up and up there. Go ahead and open up there. But just to paint a background, uh, Paul, the writer of Philippians, wrote this book while he was in prison. Um, and the theme, if you were to look at Philippians as a whole, the theme of joyfulness is found all throughout this book. Now, I'm not going to sit here and ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been in prison. All right, we're not going to front you out like that. Uh, we've, God has redeemed us all, and we're all here, and it's obvious that you're not in prison. All right? But here's the deal. Paul wrote Philippians, the majority of it from, or wrote the book of Philippians from prison. And so we get this idea of how can we live joyfully in spite of the circumstances that we are in. And Paul was in a pretty big circumstance. I mean, the dude's in prison, and it's not like our prison today where you get three hot meals, a shower, a toilet, and a TV. This dude was like in the back 40 of a cave where there's no sunlight, with no telling what else, and, and every, you, you imagine what's there, it's probably there. And, and Paul, it says a lot about him because of everything that Paul had endured up to the point of him writing this. Let's just take a, a look at Paul for a second. Paul, the, the man that at one point in his life, his sole purpose was to persecute Christians. His sole purpose was to truly try to wipe them off the face of the planet. So he, he would have them um, thrown in prison. He would have them beaten and all these things until one day he met Jesus. He had a true, real encounter with Jesus Christ. And it radically changed his life and he was never the same after that. He went from persecuting Christians to challenge people to live as though Christ was in them and live through him. And Paul, throughout the course of his life after that, then in the, the time that he was in ministry, he was thrown in prison, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was beaten, he was starved, all these things. And he writes this book in, of Philippians about being joyful in all circumstances Yet he probably would have made more sense in my human, sinful, fleshly opinion of how difficult it is to truly follow Christ and the pain that comes along with it and how skeptical you should be if Jesus ever tells you, hey, come follow me, son. 
but he's not. I just want you to think about this. If I came up to you, now I'm a cool guy. All right, at least I like to think so. Okay. And if I came up to you and told you to follow me, however, you may face hard times. Maybe you'll get stoned, may get put in prison, may get beat up, you may get shipwrecked, but it's worth it because it's me. You probably think twice, at least I hope you would, okay? I mean, as I said, I'm cool and all, but Paul here, he says that all these things that he's been through, that we'll read here in just a second, that all these things are worth it if it means that he himself and we as believers are following Christ to our fullest potential. Not to what, well, oh, we could, we could do it a little bit better, but no, to our fullest potential. And my, my question, especially to men, is as a father, as a man, are you willing to lead your family where Christ wants you to lead them, even if it means facing hardship as a family? Are you willing to say yes? I mean, imagine the things that, that Paul was called to go do. He could have said, Jesus, God, really? Really? You seen what happened last month when I said yes. It didn't end out, it didn't end up too well. Now I'm over here writing a book in prison about being joyful. But for us, that even in the hard times, we need to know that if our focus remains on Christ and the purpose and his purpose for us, then we can be content wherever we are at in life. That it doesn't matter what trial you're in. It doesn't matter what, what obstacle you're going through. And, and I'm just going to be open with you. My wife was not here in the first uh, service, but she's here now. So if she starts crying, I apologize. Um, but I'm going to be open. This was about three and a half years ago, we faced the hardest time that we've ever had to face as a family. I was actually at Mount Lebanon on a Monday. We had just gotten to camp. Uh, we do camp. The previous church, we do camp at the same place that EVC does church. And I get a phone call. I had about three missed calls from Jennifer. And uh, I was like, all right, something's not right. She never calls me during camp. We talk pretty much the same time every day. So I knew something was up. And so I step outside the, uh, the cafeteria where I was at eating lunch. And I call her back and say, hey, babe, um, what's going on? I've got several missed calls from you. Is everything okay? And see, at that moment, uh, we were pregnant with our very first child. Um, and I get a phone call from her. And the phone call is to tell me that I knew that she had not been feeling real well, and she had gone to the doctor. And uh, the doctor had let her know that, that we had lost our baby and that I needed to come home. And so immediately I hang up with her and I collapse and not like I didn't pass out, but I had some people come around me. Luckily her family was uh, just right down the road and was with her. Um, and so we were... That was the hardest day of my life. But then I got in my car and as I told them in the earlier service, that I set out on the longest three and a half hour drive down I-45 that I've ever been on. Now I've made that drive a lot. 
But that was the absolute longest drive that I'd ever made in my entire life. Because I knew what I was going home to. And I get to about Huntsville uh, or Madisonville, and I, and I was ticked off as putting it very nicely. And I pull off into Bucky's, go to the back parking lot, and just yell for like five minutes in my car. Yelling at God, asking God the same question I just asked you. Why? Why? I don't think she would mind me sharing this, but her biggest fear growing up wasn't dying. It wasn't being stranded at sea or something like that. Her biggest fear ever since she was little was not being able to have a kid. And I just looked at God square in the face and I said, God, what in the world? There is no reason behind this. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no purpose. There's no way you are using this to get any kind of glory because what kind of glory can come out of us losing our child that we had been praying for? Knowing that Jennifer had had some health problems before, knowing that, that this was a miracle baby in and of itself. How in the world, God, I was content that day with remaining just infuriated or remaining furious at God for what he was doing to our life. I was ticked. And we go home and we go through the whole process and, and she has surgery and then I head back to camp because my response to her was, I'm staying here. She goes, no, the heck you're not. She goes, you be, go be with those students. I can, I'm a big girl. I can handle them on. And several months later, our, the church that we just came from, we were in the, in the middle of a series entitled Believe. And it was really just believing God through grief. And they had come and approached Jennifer and said, hey, do you mind sharing your story on a video for us just to, to show kind of how you've grieved and, and, and how you've seen God work through this. And she was like, yeah, I think I'm to that point. And so Jennifer goes and she, she films or films this video and they share the video and like, I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you're talking two minute video, maybe three. And so then the, the church shares and we've had, we had people saying, oh, thank you for, for sharing that. Then they put it on Facebook like they did with all the other videos, but something was just weird because that video began to get shared and that video began to get views. And that video ended up being shared over two or 3,000 times, had over two to three million views. And we began to get messages saying, hey, thanks for sharing your story. I remember that our... Um, Media guy at the time, he, he just said, hey, man, we've gotten some message from several people at the church or to the church Facebook. And I just, these are for you. They're not for us. I'm saying, you, you don't know how great it was because we are walking through that exact same thing. And, and we are so mad at God right now. But to hear how God has used this in your life has given us hope. We had no idea. As a husband, as somebody that I thought I was fixing to be a father, it was the most difficult thing to lead Jennifer through. I wanted to stay content and being mad at Jesus, to being mad at God for doing this, for ripping this out of our life. But then I began to see the bigger picture. 
And I began to see God's hand at work and how he was getting all the glory despite my hardship, despite the feelings that we were having. His hand was at work and it was, he was working in ways that honestly we would have never thought. And he was using that little bitty two minutes of Jennifer being open and honest to give other ladies who were struggling with the same thing, hope. That there is a God who loves you. That there is a God who can save you. That there is a God who cares. Because now we have a healthy two-year-old baby boy named River. And as hard as it is sometimes to wonder what that baby would have been like. To know that God used us to minister to other people allows me to be content in Christ. Because when I'm content in Christ, I see his hand at work and I see what he can do no matter what situation or what circumstance that we are in. So how, how then can you and I, how can we be content in Christ during the good times and during the bad times? And I want us to take a look at several verses this morning that are found in Philippians, as I mentioned earlier. So here your Bible, you can look with me in Philippians chapter three, where I'm going to read the first two verses. Excuse me, we're not the first two verses, first two verses of the passage that I'm going to be reading, starting in verse seven. Says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then we're going to continue on here in just a second. But the first thing that I, that I can see and that I want to draw your attention to is this is that for us to be content, we got to know that Christ is far better than anything you and I could ever gain on this earth. Paul, whatever Paul had gained, he had counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. We had to come to the realization that knowing Christ, that making him known was far better than having that child with us. As hard as that was. And we need to understand if people come to Christ, if people are encouraged in Christ because of the circumstances that you and I are currently in, we must be content because God has us exactly where he wants us. Does it make it easy? Absolutely not. Paul suffered for the sake of Christ. As Christians, we will suffer because of Christ's sake. Paul counted all these things as rubbish, as rubbish, trash. Like, I don't need them. I can do away with them if it means that I will gain knowledge, that I will know Christ. I want you to fill in the blanks with these two questions that I have. And they're pretty pointed questions. Personally, I want you to think about these. To your, about yourself. That I cannot live without blank. Or this. I'll only be happy when blank. What, is the, what are those blanks for you? I can tell you this. That if that blank is not Christ, 
then that is an idol in your life. And these are idols in our, there are idols in our life that take away our contentment in Christ. Why do they do that? Because we begin to realize we need them plus Christ when we need Christ plus nothing. You see, for me growing up, and this is where I stepped on a few people's toes this morning, uh, and I was confronted about it, not in a bad way, but for me, an idol growing up and somewhat, sometimes, I'm just going to be honest, still kind of is, is if you were to cut me open, I don't bleed red, I bleed orange and blue. I'm a Florida Gator fan through and through. I mean, it doesn't matter if the women's chess team is playing, go Gators, all right? Football, we won't talk about that right now. We've been a little bad, but we do play Texas Tech in College World Series. And, um, you know, we'll probably, as I said earlier, and Randy let me hear it, we'll probably end up playing Texas once we beat Texas Tech uh, uh, (laughs) because they play Arkansas, all right? But all jokes, all jokes aside, I love sports. I can sit here and talk all day about sports, but I love Jesus more. Uh, that was an idol for me, that I could not live without football. I couldn't. As a matter of fact, I, I would get to where I, I would maneuver my life around football instead of maneuvering my life with Jesus and letting football fall in line. You see, for you, maybe that blank is something that you can't live without. But I ask you this question, just as Paul has stated here in verses 7 and 8, is are you truly content if you lost it all? Would you be content? Would you be content if the Lord just knocked on your front door and said, hey, pack a bag and move to the bush That's where I want you to live in Africa. That's where I want you to live out the rest of your life. Are you content? Are you content in Christ? Or do you have other things that take away your contentment in Christ, making you think you have to have these things that the world says, hey, you need X, Y, and Z to be happy. And and God's saying, no, you don't. You need me. And that's it. Doesn't mean it'll be easy. It's not going to be a paved road, straight and narrow. No, there's going to be some twists and there's going to be some turns and it's going to be hard. But nobody ever said it was easy. All Jesus said to do was follow me, to be content in me. So my question is this, is what do you need to let go of so you can be more content in Christ? Are you willing to be like Paul and count it all as rubbish for the sake of knowing him and making him known? I'm not up here preaching to you saying, I've got this figured out. I still struggle with it. But I can tell you, when you've been in a situation where all you have to rely on is Jesus, you realize that he is truly all you need. And to be content in him and your relationship with him. The second thing is this that we see if we keep on reading in verse 9. It says that knowing righteousness found in God through faith. If we know that righteousness is found in God, it supersedes our own human fabricated righteousness. Look what Paul has to say here in verse 9. 
He goes on to say after that, that he wants to count it all as represented. I may gain Christ. He goes and said, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That Paul realizes that whatever he does to try and gain righteousness isn't worth it compared to the righteousness found in Christ. I didn't give Kyle this verse to put on the screen, so pardon me. But if you have your Bibles and you want to flip over there, you can, or you can just listen. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8 says this. It says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteousness, our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That it doesn't matter. That our righteousness, our self-fabricated human righteousness, the things that we think we have to do to gain righteousness in the sight of God, it doesn't matter. All the good that we do, that garment is still unwearable. Now, I like to play Monopoly. Some of you may like to play Monopoly, right? I hope so. It's one of the best board games ever. And in Monopoly, if you're playing, you acquire cash. And if you're the dealer or you're the banker, you tend to somehow always have more money than everybody else. And don't tell me you don't. All right, I was the bigger brother. I know how that works. But with that money... I can, I can buy properties. I can buy all these things that are awesome. I can essentially buy it all. Now, what you'll learn and get to know me, you'll learn that I am an avid amateur golfer. Love to play golf. I need a new driver. My wife is in the building. That's why I'm, that's why I'm definitely addressing this. I do. It's dead. Trust me. It's only like three years old, okay? Um, If I was to take the money that I bought all those properties with in Monopoly and run over to Dick's Sporting Goods and get the newest tailor-made driver that they have out there and was to walk up to the counter and say, all right, sir, that'll be $550. And I was just to shell out $550 worth of Monopoly money I'm probably going to get laughed at. I'm probably going to get slapped and said, you can just get on up out of here. And if I looked at him and said, yeah, but I bought Park Place, <laughs> Oriental Avenue. I bought all of this stuff. How come I can't buy this driver? They were worth more than the driver. Why? Because it's made up. It's not real. It's the same thing with our righteousness. It's like monopoly money. It's not going to get us anything, and it's not going to get us anywhere except farther from Christ. How many people do you know think they have to do good things to find righteousness and favor in the eyes of God? Next time you see them, tell them they're wrong. The more good they try to do, the more they end up questioning God when things happen. Because they realize, God, I have attended church. I haven't missed church in six months. God, I went on a mission trip. I did all these things, and God is saying, yeah, I get that, but I'm not a God of checklists. I'm a God of relationship. And Paul realizes that his own righteousness, his own checklist doesn't matter 
if his righteousness is not the righteousness that's found in God, check it out. But it's not only just found in God, how do you find it? Through faith. Paul realizes that the first step to beating a problem is admitting the problem, and that problem is me. That problem is you and our own self-righteousness. That's why Paul counts all of his accomplishments as loss, because he realizes this, that righteousness is a gift from God given to those who are adopted into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's found only through God. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter uh, the, the, how many times I come here. It don't matter if I never miss a Sunday the rest of my life. If you do not have that righteousness that's found in God through faith, and you've got a problem because you'll never be content with your own self-righteousness because you'll do like I did on the side of I-45 that night at about 11 p.m. yelling, God, why me? God, why me? And he's saying, why not? Because when you have all you have is a checklist to go off of, you're never going to be content. But when you realize you're in a relationship with a God who sent his son to die on the cross that you may have eternal life, that you've been forgiven of all the sins you have committed and will commit, then you can be content in knowing that he's got you in the palm of his hand. The third thing is this, is that we see when we keep on reading is, is I'll read, let me read uh, verses 10 and 11. It says this, Paul goes on to say that I may know him not only know him, but know the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him even in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What can we gather from this? And this is huge. Is that we must, that know, we must know that knowing Christ through experience is far better than simply knowing about Jesus. That Paul's goal is to know Jesus. Paul's goal is to know the power of his resurrections, to know the fellowship of his sufferings. And, and if you look in the Greek, that word know has three different meanings to it. That word know, first it means to learn by study, which some of you are like, I wish my kids would learn what that word really means. And I was one of those kids, okay? I, I was not very smart in school. It also means to have head knowledge, to know something to know about something, but not truly know it. But listen to what the third meaning this word means. This is where Paul's hitting is to know by experience. Paul wants us to know Jesus by experiencing him. If you were to, if, and I'm not going to flip there, but I'll just tell you, if Psalms 34, 8, it says to taste, that we should taste and see that the Lord is good. See, if I did a really good job of explaining something to you, you probably would want to experience. For instance, Jennifer and I, we have some really good friends of ours from the Houston area that, that we'll go to eat dinner with them once every couple of months. And we go to this, we go, and I love steak, all right? I like sweets, but I love steak. It's very obvious that I don't miss a meal, okay? All right? And we go to this place called Vic and Anthony's, and let me tell you, 
It will, that is the best steak you will ever put in your mouth. If you ever go to Vic and Anthony's, just get this. For the 44 Farms 22 ounce ribeye with a charred outside, medium rare inside, let me tell you, you, when you bite it, you will take a step into heaven, okay? <laughs> with a side of potatoes au gratin and their green beans, you're set. That's all there is to it. But if I just simply sat up here and I had... Tilman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets, the owner of the restaurant, I don't know him, but if he were, if I were to say, hey man, I need a, I need a sermon prop, I need you to cook me up one of those ribeyes and bring it in, and I just sat it here, and I told you all about it, you would want to experience it probably, but all you would have is a knowledge of it. You wouldn't truly understand what it was until I said, all right, men, we like beef. I'm going to give each of you a piece of this. And you began to taste it. And you began to experience the life-changing power of this steak. <laughs> you will then say, babe, uh, let me look and see. I think we can make it to Houston in about four hours. Uh, let's go. Because you realize that's how good it is because you just experienced the best steak you have ever eaten in your entire life. If I just sat it up here and talked about it, you would know about it by the time, trust me, you would really know about it by the time I got done talking about it because you would see it, you would hear me talk about it, you would smell it. But until you truly tasted it, you would never experienced it. And Paul is saying here, he wants, he wants to know, not just know Jesus, but he wants to experience Jesus. How? He wants to experience the power of his resurrection. He wants to share in his sufferings. He, he, he knows that to know Christ is to know the power of Christ, that you can't experience Christ without experiencing his power as well. Because here's the deal, if you've ever been saved, then you've experienced Christ. But not only have you just experienced Christ, you experienced the power of Christ because it takes some power to save a wretched dude like me. And you've experienced Jesus and you know what it's like. Paul also knew that as he did this, it would, it would aid in the helping of others. Because he, he goes on and he continues to talk about um, obtaining a prize and running the race. And, and we, we know that Paul knew what it was like to share in the sufferings of Jesus. And Paul would say, I would share in it again. If it means that I would know Christ even more and, and students, adults and students. So you should say in students. We need to understand that God's power in us is far more helpful to those around us than our own strength and power. That we need to know once we've experienced God, the power of God is in us. Men, God's power in us will help us lead our families the way he intended families to be led. But we cannot lead our families the way he's intended them to be led until we've experienced Jesus. It's way more than just knowing about him. It's to experience him. But Jamie, that's sometimes when, I, when you say experience Jesus, it's I only experience him in, in bad times. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. What does it say in James chapter one? He tells us what to count it, what joy 
my brothers, when you what meet try or when you go through trials, various things. Why? Because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to understand that to, it's more than just to know Christ that we need to experience Him, and when we experience Him, we need to understand that suffering is going to come. It's not when. Or it's not if it will come, it's when it will come. Christ makes it very clear. Why? Because the world is against us. The world doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. They want to push their own agenda, but Paul wanted to know how to respond to his sufferings just as Christ did. And the only way to do that is not just to know about him, but to experience him. So my question is this, is have you ever experienced the power of Christ? Or do you simply have a head knowledge of him? You see, Paul, he knew him. He didn't know about him. He knew because of him, because he experienced the power of Jesus in his life. I've experienced the power of Jesus in our life when we are in the darkest time and you begin just to see God's hand all around you and you can't help but know that God is there. Then you can't help but be content When it's just you and Jesus. You don't need everything else. But you need to understand that many people are never content in Christ because they simply know about him. They simply just know what this says. They're not about this. They just know about this. You got to experience it. You got to be about it. Then you can be content in Christ. So in closing, just to wrap this up few application points. They're going to be on the screen. First one is, just to recap, is our personal gains are worthless compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And I don't care what you gain in this world. I don't care what the world tells you you need. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you are empty. If you do not have Jesus, you have nothing. That it doesn't matter what I do. All that matters is what Jesus has done in me. So where do your worldly gains rank in your relationship with Christ? If you were, as I tell students all the time, to peel back the layers of your life, to peel back the layers of your heart, what comes number one? What can you not live without? And if the answer is not Christ, then as I said, it's an idol. Do business with God. God, help me remove the, the desire for this. Because I desire this more than I desire you. And sometimes what God does is he will remove it 100%. And you've got to be okay with that. Because you will never be content in Christ when you're finding contentment in other things. Second thing, just to recap, is that we need to remember that our righteousness, the righteousness found in God is far better than, than human fabricated righteousness. Men. Have you been fabricating your own righteousness lately? Have you been fabricating your own righteousness for you and your family? Or do you find your righteousness in Christ? Is it a checklist or is it a relationship? Which one is it for you? Not just men, but everyone. Because if we seek our own selfish righteousness, we'll never truly see the righteousness of God. And lastly, to be content in Christ, that you must experience Christ. You need to understand that it's far better than knowing him. 
Have you experienced him? Simple, real simple question. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Have you not just looked at the steak, but have you tasted it? Have you sat down at the dinner table with him? Have you encountered him in a real way that that truly radically changed your life? Or have you just been coming to church because you know it's the right thing to do? As my pastor going up said, coming to church isn't going to save you. It's not. Have you experienced him or do you just know about him? I'll close with this. The band can go ahead and, and come on up. I was a football player in high school. My coach would always say, I don't care if you know the playbook. And she said, I actually maybe not have been smart in school, but I knew the playbook, which is probably not a good thing. I knew the playbook more than I knew math. I knew the playbook more, more than I knew science. I definitely knew it more than I knew English. Uh, but he, he, he would look us, every single one of us offensive linemen in the face. He would say, I don't care if you've memorized the entire playbook. If you do not play like something is within you, then you're never going to step foot on the field. And it's the same thing with Jesus. It doesn't matter if you've memorized this thing front to back. If this isn't what defines your life, if this isn't where you find your contentment at, then you're not content. You're always going to be discontent with whatever God throws your way, with whatever trial you go through. In the good times, you're going to praise yourself. In the bad times, you're going to question God. But when you are truly content in Christ, in the good times, you praise God. In the bad times, you seek God, you praise God. And it's the same thing no matter where you're at in your life. If you are truly content in Christ. So where's your contentment at? What's it in? The band's going to play. Maybe you just need to get down on your face before God and say, God, forgive me for my discontent. For some of you, maybe it's you need to trust God for the very first time because you've known a lot about him, but you've never truly experienced him. As Paul says, I challenge you to experience God this morning as Paul desires to experience God. And if you need somebody to talk to, I'm in the back. You can come find me afterwards. Randy's here. Kyle's here. The staff's here. Sure. Adam will talk to you. Any of these guys will talk to you. But make sure when you leave here today that you can officially say and you can without a doubt say that no matter what comes my way, I'm content with life because I have Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, I pray that every single person in this room under the sound of my voice will know what it means to find true contentment. God, that I pray right now that some of them would encounter you in a real way. God, that some of them would encounter you just as Paul encountered you. God, that some of them would encounter you just as the, the lame man encountered, just as the leper encountered, God, just as the disciples encountered you, God, may we encounter you and may we desire to encounter you in that kind of way because we know that the moment we encounter you, we experience you in the power that's found in you. God, may that power be unleashed this morning. May we experience that power like we've never experienced it before. 
May we just do more than know you. God, may we set aside our selfish righteousness and focus on the righteousness that's found in you through faith. And God, may we count everything we own as rubbish if it compares to knowing you as Lord and Savior. God, may we know you. May we experience you. God, may we love you. May we live for you. Let's hear me pray. Amen. God, may stand.